This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. everyone. Welcome to the What School Could Be podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rapoon. Before we start the show, please check out all the resources at whatschoolcouldbe.org and our global online community. Simply install the What School Could Be app on your mobile device or navigate to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org. I hope to see you there. Before I introduce my guest, I want to acknowledge Robert Landau, a previous guest on this show, a treasured friend, and colleague, and the guy who has been talking to me about Liger Leadership Academy, the subject of today's episode, for years. Robert has been gently persistent in keeping Liger on my radar as I develop this podcast. Today, thanks to him, we have arrived at that moment I figure he's been waiting for for a long time. Thank you, Robert. For this episode, Robert wrote, and I quote, In 2011, I received an email from a friend of a friend who recommended that I apply for a startup in Cambodia called the Liger Learning Academy. The opportunity presented itself as truly extraordinary. The chance to develop a curriculum for underprivileged Cambodian youth, recruit the inaugural group of 50 students, assemble a dedicated staff, contribute to the creation of an immersive learning and living environment, and bring the institution to life within a remarkably short time frame. This incredible opportunity proved to be a pivotal moment in my life. Liger aimed to be more than just a superior educational institution. It strived to serve as a blueprint for what schools in the country could aspire to become. In the initial cohort, we assessed in person 12,000 students from 61 government schools across nine provinces, employing a process we had designed. Recently, I had the privilege of witnessing the graduation impact projects of cohort two and of visiting the campus, now known as the Liger Leadership Academy. And I met the students of cohort three. I must admit that Liger is not merely a model for education in Cambodia, but for any school dedicated to reshaping lives and empowering individuals to truly make a significant difference." End quote. Listeners, President Barack Obama once said in a speech in 2008, change will not come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. I can think of no better quote to begin my intro to today's episode. Today, my guest is Jeff Holty. Jeff is an innovative, creative educator with over 45 years of experience as a teacher, principal, technology director, school director, and designer of pioneering learning models. Originally from the United States, Jeff has spent the past decade on his own experiential journey, living in Qatar, Beijing, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Cambodia, and New Zealand. Up until a few months ago, Jeff served as the Director of Education for Liger Leadership Academy, working on its two schools in Cambodia and New Zealand. 
Jeff is passionate about education and the promise it provides to the learner, the community, and the world. His goal is to ignite curiosity, inspire a love of learning, and motivate children to fulfill their potential through project-oriented, experiential, and opportunity-based experiences, as you will hear in this conversation. Dr. Wayne Jennings, who lives in Minnesota and is a retired educator and education leader with a massively long resume in education innovation, shared the following with me for this episode. And I quote, I hired Jeff Holte to lead a team establishing an experiential new high school. He exceeded my hopes. As an example, he took 25 students to Costa Rica to work on environmental projects. Then he took 25 high school students to Ghana, West Africa, where they built a wind generator for a remote village. At their school, before leaving, students rebuilt donated computers that established a computer lab in Ghana. Jeff was the most innovative educator I knew during my 60-year career in education." End quote. Lean Jensby Lange, a close colleague of Jeff Holtes, said the following about this episode, quote, you are about to take a walk on the wilder side of education with this next guest. You are about to meet someone who has traveled the globe and worked in unusual settings. With youth at risk in America, privileged youth in the Middle East, tech in China, students from the most rural, uneducated parts of Cambodia, and kids in refugee camps in Africa. And over the last couple of years, Jeff introduced young New Zealanders to the kind of transformative learning experiences he has devoted his life to. Part of what makes Liger Leadership Academy so special is its mission, which you will hear about in a moment. And the work that students engage in is quite out of the ordinary, showcasing what abundant and radical thinking and education can lead to when the work revolves around students and a commitment is made to something way bigger than standards and assessments. I am pleased you will hear from a truly inspiring mover and shaker who has radical dreams for education and how we can make learning matter." End quote. And now, here is my conversation with Jeff Holte. Jeff, welcome to the What School Could Be podcast. Thanks, Josh. It's really, really great to be with you here today. Looking forward to it. So, Jeff, one of my favorite podcasts is hosted by a colleague named Steve Shapiro, and his show is called Experience Matters. It's about education. And you had an experience back in the early 60s, a first grade field trip in Minnesota to a milk bottling plant. And you remember very specific details from that day. So what happened? What do you remember? Why do you remember it? And why does experience matter? And by the way, Jeff, I love bottled milk, and I wish I could get it here in Hawaii where I'm based, but I can't. So anyway, talk to us about your first grade field trip. Yes, great. I think my first grade field trip literally changed my thinking for the rest of my life. Mm. 
we were going on a field trip to the milk bottling plant, which doesn't really have to do with, with anything other than just going out into the community, doing a field trip. And when I went there, I learned how they bottle milk. And the bus ride going there was so exciting because we were out of our school and in the community. And I remember the details of the bottling of milk and coming back to school. And the reason that that's so powerful is that I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember it clearly to this very day. And I've thought about it so often since. And as I've gone into my education career, I think I think about it a lot. That is doing real things, experiencing the world for, for real. And being in the world really has a big impact. I mean, the idea that I could be remember the details of that when I was six years old, and I do not remember a lot of other things about first grade or a lot of my elementary school, don't really remember things other than real experiential things. So had a big impact on me and my thinking about teaching and learning. Jeff, what were some of the details that in some ways surprise you looking back these many years later that you remember about that day and even about the milk bottling itself? I remember riding on the bus. I remember that some of the conversations with my colleagues on the bus when I was six. I remember in the milk bottling plants, I can literally see in my head right now on the assembly line, milk coming down into these bottles, the Mm. little, I think, aluminum foil caps that went down on them going Mm -hmm. through the assembly line, somebody explaining it all. That's really crazy that I know that now, but Mm. it all makes sense to me more now. Yeah, you know, as I was developing this question based on what you had shared with me about this experience, I was thinking back to my own childhood, and I'm only a couple years behind you in age, and just thinking about all the things that happened in elementary school outside of the classroom that I remember with detail, but how little I remember from the classroom itself. And so it's super interesting, and it's a great segue to my next question, which is, you shared with me that you have literally been in school since age five, and now you have retired from your long career at age 66, and you shared with me from the earliest moments this thing we call school did not make sense to you or connect you to the ways you felt you learned. So when did this lack of sense-making, if you will, become acute? Like, what was the turning point that saw you not follow the path that your sage on the stage teachers had obviously followed. Like, did this happen suddenly, Jeff, like a road to Damascus thing, or slowly over time, like an unfolding pedagogical and lifelong experiment in the road less traveled? I think it was somewhat gradual. I remember, though, in elementary school, sitting in a classroom all day long, in a row, just listening to the teacher. And I was not the kind of person that could do that for long periods of time. I didn't, I didn't like it. I was curious. I was interested in so many things and it just didn't happen in the six hour day that we had. So Mm -hmm. over that time, and as I went into more of junior high and high school, it just became, I just became restless. But Mm -hmm. I will say this, The one thing that I think I had, and I think many, many kids around the world have, is that they like learning. So I realized 
quite early that I love to learn things. I love to learn new things. And I think that's true of almost everyone, mm. if not everyone. And I, it just wasn't filling my need of, of my curiosity and my wanting to learn new things and, and wanting to be spontaneous and wanting to, and even to this day, I want to know about everything. Mm. I want to learn everything. And school was just felt like I was in a bit of a prison, like a, not a prison, because I don't mean it negatively because school is also awesome. And you do learn a lot of new things in school for mm. sure, but it just wasn't enough. Mm. And so I wonder, Jeff, like if for one of our listeners or any of our listeners who might suddenly be thinking to themselves, hmm, I wonder if the kids in my class are restless in the way that you describe, and maybe I don't know it. You know, there's a bit of a revelation happening in this moment as they're listening to you. What do you do or what is your advice in that moment to a teacher? What what would be a thing that I could do to maybe explore that idea a little bit more? Yes, great question and a difficult question because I think we are at a time, and I just finished working in a school during this past school year, so I, I'm very current on who what students are, are like hmm. now and all the way back 40, 45 years, really. But it's about engagement. It's, it's about what is it, it's figuring out what is it that motivates students and their curiosity what what is it that can be done to engage them and i have of course a, a lot of thoughts about that or you know like what school can really look like that is engaging mm. and i've been working on that pretty much my whole adult life of trying to make that environment but as a person in a in a classroom i have two children right now that are teachers and I, we talk about this all the time one in high school and one in uh, middle school and so it's that idea of what are some things that you could do to think about to engage them? And part of that might have to be beyond the curriculum that you're assigned to teach or the standards that you're assigned to teach. It's like, what can you do beyond that will spark them? I mean, mm. seriously have a need to spark kids and their interest in learning. Little things all the way to big things like having a whole different school or changing the way the whole school day and the whole school year works, which mm. I'm very interested in that idea. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking that, you know, if the question crosses your mind as an educator, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, hmm, are my students engaged? That a first step before you start to try to figure out what to do to engage them is to find out if they are. And that there might be ways that you can survey that, if you will, to figure out if the kids are engaged. And so there's always a first step, right, Jeff? There's always that first step that you can take in order to find out a little bit more about what's going on in the heads of your kids. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I mean, part of that is really talking to them. What kinds of things are they interested in? What are the things that you're doing? You're teaching science. Okay, do these things make sense to you? What else would you like to learn about chemistry that we're working on or this biological concept? Is there Are there other things? And talk to them and ask them. And kids will tell you yeah. what they will definitely give you feedback about what's working and what's not working. And then being able to modify and adapt and try to fit in what you can to expand that after you, you know, and you can also obviously see kids and are they engaged? Are they looking at you? Are they asking questions when you have a discussion? Are they discussing things? I mean, yeah, yeah, if formally or or informally doing things like that. Yep. There's all kinds of clues. So perfect segue to 
my next question, Jeff, which is you shared with me a stack of books that have had an outside influence in your life, including The Power of Us, Future School, A Whole New Mind, which was absolutely a transformative book for me, and School Transformation. And now you are reading a book titled How We Learn, Why Brains Learn Better Than Any Machine by Stanislas Dehane. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. And our conversation is happening in June 2023, which means our context is an absolute explosion that is the arrival of ChatGPT and a boatload of other generative AI tools, which have sent folks, including education, into a frenzy. So now that you have kind of sort of retired, our listeners would love to hear your wisdom about learning in the emerging age of generative AI. And I know that's a big topic. is a very big topic and one that has been obviously in the news everywhere, both in the educational circles and writings and so on, but it's a talk of everyone. And I feel like I've had a a bit of an advantage having been a technology director and coordinator for Mm. school districts and schools over the last part of my time over the last 25 years or so. And so I've had to really wrestle with the idea of how does technology fit in with learning? Because I'm really interested in the idea of how people learn. And I think that goes to answer the question more directly. Mm. And that is, we, having been a technology director and coordinator at the be- and, and a teacher at the beginning of the internet. So when that happened, when the email, we started with email, I was a teacher and I did a lot of projects with email. And then the web was invented and all of these things that People were very upset about and like, what is this going to do to education? What what when the web happened, when suddenly everyone was connected to everyone and you could look things up when we started to have search and what's going to happen to libraries, what's going to happen to teaching, what's going to happen to my job. And we went through that and many years of people just adapting to the idea that suddenly it wasn't just a classroom and a teacher in front and then you go to the library to look up information or something. Suddenly everybody was connected. Everybody could be a producer of knowledge and information and make people could, kids could be video producers and writers and everybody could share with everybody. That really, I feel, is very similar to what's going on now. And I would say this very, I really believe that we have an opportunity to use this quite radical change, you know, with generative AI, the idea that the technology can help us be, it it is kind of creative and it does so many different things that we could never do before. And I realize that it's very disturbing to people, but Mm. learning is about you know, like, I guess that's the thing. What is learning in schools? What What is our job at schools? And I think this the new technologies are going to be very similar to what we've experienced before. And we're going to utilize it in a way that catapults the ownership of students, their ability to do more things, more efficient. I mean, we're not teaching basically handwriting 
much anymore. So nobody really thinks about that. So maybe there are some things now that we don't have to do and we can focus on things we really care about in learning. Mm. Jeff, what do we do? What do we educators do? And I'm not in a classroom anymore, but what do we do about time? Like it feels to me as if suddenly things are speeding up. And and actually, I, I will acknowledge that they've been speeding up for a long time. But I remember when I was teaching in the early 90s, that was the sort of arrival or, or it was kind of the late stages of email and then the internet. And I remember the panic that my fellow teachers felt. I mean, even when we were submitting grades to move from, you know, those pieces of paper that you wrote your comments on on the grade that went down on chairs in the library to suddenly having to do it electronically. And now, you know, things are going faster and faster, and yet teachers still have to go to school. They have to do their thing during the school day, and and yet the speed of everything is happening faster and faster and faster all around them. And what, what are your thoughts about how to cope with that? I think there's really, honestly, one major thing, and that is that schools, states, countries, whatever, need, need to think of what are the goals of the school. Mm. For example, I think a lot about the idea that there are approximately 1,200 hours in a school year around the United States and around the world, roughly speaking. I've kind of surveyed the entire world quite a bit. Mm. About 1,200 hours. That's it. So the really big question is, what do you do with that 1,200 hours? Ah. Because it's still a roughly, and by the way, we could just change, one thing is that we could change that. Maybe people have a, a formal school longer or, you know, whatever, but it's been that way a long time and it's it's still that way. So what do you do with your 1200 hours? And I think it's a really critical question. So that the solution really is, it's the only solution. And that is, what is it do you prioritize as a school or a school district? Hmm. Uh, and, and it's not always just what you prioritize as a teacher, because a lot of, a lot of us, you know, you're, you're in a organization that tells you what, how you use all that time, but it's reorganizing schools completely. I'm just telling you that's my that's yep. my opinion. Mm-hmm. And pick the goals that you want to do. What is it that you want kids to become and know before they leave your school? And then just do those in the 1200 hours, no matter what's going on and use the technology and the speed, how fast things are moving and so on, like utilize it within those, those goals, make it better. Let mm. kids use the tools. Let kids use the speed and the and the sort of uncertainty of the world all around us is is just sort of crazy. Well, okay, what are we going to do about that? Let's that's awesome, I think. And I think we'll get into this after the break when we talk more about Liger Leadership Academy. But when I think this might be true, Jeff, of pretty much everybody that I've interviewed for this show more than a hundred episodes, is that when students really take charge of their own learning when they become owners of learning and they have the agency, time opens up for teachers to do all sorts of things because they're no longer, you know, the experts on the stage who are leading the kids through it. But we'll talk about that more in a second. So one more question before we go to break. Jeff, on January 17th, 1988, the Associated Press announced the following, and I quote, The National Education Association named five teachers Wednesday to lead a conference on technology in memory of teacher astronaut Krista McAuliffe. The teachers will receive $5,000 apiece for designing an August conference to bring together 20 other teachers to explore creative classroom uses of technology, end quote. So, Jeff, you were one of those five teachers, and I will note that Art Kimura 
who's a former guest on the show, was on the short list to be that teacher on The Challenger, which mm. ultimately went to Krista McAuliffe. So my question is, what is the meaning of this award in your life? Like, how did it shape you? And what do you recall about that gathering of 20 teachers, which must have been just amazingly epic? It was amazingly epic, especially considering I was a middle school science teacher in Minnesota. And I just got a call one day and it said, okay, you're going to, you know, lead this thing and create this thing for teachers from all over the country. And what it meant is that we were allowed to do great things mm. and they encouraged us. It's like, you can change the world. And by the way, during that time in the late eighties, technology was a very big deal in learning. It was really one of the progressive sides of teaching at that time because it was such radical change going on in how technology was being used or not being used for learning. And so we, we got to be on the front edge of that. And mm. basically that idea of ownership and the idea that we were empowered. And interestingly, every week now, I get together with a group of these educators from the year I was there and other years. So these people are in their 60s and 70s. And we get to, here's how powerful it was, is that we tried to do things for change and good then. But literally, there's a group of us that meet every single Thursday for the last few years, and we will continue to do it. And we're still trying to think, what can we do to help teachers, to help education, to help improve? Not just about technology, but so in other words, that idea is that you can make change. You can do powerful things. You can influence what happens in schools and learning. Mm. And so we're still trying to do it and help other people. That's so awesome. I'm amazed. I'm amazed by that. That's and and all of this is happening virtually then I assume because you must be all over it's the all, place. Well, it's all happening virtually, but last year we got together for the first time and in August we're getting together again people just on their own are flying together and then we our idea is that we're going to plan a conference for teachers we're not sure what yet, but we're spending a week together to plan our own conference. We're not funded by anybody, hmm. but that's how powerful it is when you somebody tells you that you can do it, that you you can make a big difference. Like it's long lasting, like over thirty years, and we're still trying to hmm. do the same kinds of things. It's a good message. Wow, that's just amazing. So, one follow up question before we go to break. You know, Jeff, over these many episodes, I've spoken to many guests about the idea that for me, in my humble opinion, one of the most important things that a teacher can do to become better, if you will, in the classroom or to create better relationships with students is to get outside the classroom, to travel. And I know the Krista McAuliffe thing is an extreme example to go up in the Challenger, you know, up in a space shuttle. But I wonder what your thoughts are, given your your record, which is a record of being all over the world. I wonder what your thoughts are about that idea that somehow or other, either the individual educator strives to travel, you know, quote unquote, or to get out and to do things, or that our schools and our districts actually support that kind of idea because in the end, it may be good for kids. What do you think about that? It's literally one of my strongest held beliefs that learning 
I mean, I know a lot of people say this, but learning occurs everywhere, but I'm really serious about it. And and almost all of my adult life has been about in education is getting kids out into the community, whether that is Africa or whether that's down the street or exposing our kids to the whole world. And we can talk about this later too, as part yeah. of the Liger discussion, but it is everything to me. And I think a lot of what people know and, and understand and remember are things, as you just mentioned earlier, don't necessarily happen in the classroom. So I'm a strong believer and I think districts should support it. I have this notion, and by the way, I asked Chat GTP to help me write a national law just for the fun of it, mm. to have every 11th grader in America spend a year overseas mm. and work in a developing country. And I will tell you this, so I realize that's a fairly radical thing and it probably won't happen, but if it did, it would change this country forever because my time overseas in developing countries and so on changed my perspective about the world completely. And students that we've brought to Africa to do learning and to Costa Rica and some different things literally profoundly changed their lives. We took a group of, of students for six weeks from our St. Paul Charter School into Africa, and nobody is anywhere near close to the same person they were before before mm. they did that. Mm. So I'd like to see that for like if every 10th or 11th grader spent a year working on projects. Not I'm not saying going to school and going to traditional classes overseas, but just doing things and meeting people and interacting. Mm. For one thing, they will understand so many more things including the idea of understanding our own country and how how lucky we are to live where we live and things like that. So yeah, it's like my number one thing about learning. Yeah, that's awesome. We are perfectly aligned, sir, on that one. So hey, everyone, we will be right back with more questions for Jeff Holty. Hi, fellow educators. I'm Steve Shapiro. And like you, I'm excited about the possibilities of what school could be. Please check out my podcast, Experience Matters, where I talk to guests ranging from big national thinkers like Daniel Pink and Tony Wagner to recent high school graduates about the most profound learning experiences of their youth. Then we dig into the implications for how we can reshape schools to produce powerful breakthrough learning for all of our students. Education can take many forms, but whatever form it takes, Experience Matters. Hey there. Are you interested in hearing weekly conversations with authors, leaders, and practitioners at the forefront of learning and education innovation? Then you'll love the Getting Smart podcast. This podcast amplifies the incredible work being done by some of the most innovative minds in education. Learn new leadership styles, new technologies, new frameworks and mindsets, and get the fuel you need to stay motivated and curious. Together, we can empower all learners to thrive. It's available at gettingsmart.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi friends, this is Toy Hirschman from EntreEd. It is my great honor to uplift this excellent podcast, What School Could Be. As always, we are super excited to support innovation in education. We've been lucky enough to feature some of the incredible What School Could Be educators on our podcast. If you are looking to be inspired by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial educators and other great minds from across the world, check out the EntreEd Talk podcast and please like and subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in. 
Hey everyone, we are back with Jeff Holty, who from 2012 to 2022 was the education director at Liger Leadership Academy's two campuses, one in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, and the other in Queenstown, New Zealand. So Jeff, this next section is all about Liger Leadership Academy, which you have been a part of for many years, both in Cambodia and New Zealand. So over more than 100 episodes of this show, I have never started a question with the following. Back in the late 1970s, Cambodia experienced the genocide that targeted its middle-class adults and killed over 1.5 million citizens. And as a result, over 60% of Cambodia's population is under 30 years old, which is one of the extraordinarily hard facts that lie beneath and underneath Liger Leadership Academy's founding. So let's have you explain, Jeff, for our listeners why it is crucial to know about the Cambodian genocide if one is to understand Liger. I think our founder and funder of the program, Trevor Giles, and his wife, Agnieszka, were traveling and they are entrepreneurs and wanted to do something that made a difference to create a new kind of leadership and to really work with with people who really need a leg up. And so they traveled to Cambodia as as part of a, a larger project for themselves. And they realized at that time that Cambodia was is still to this day having difficult times dealing with what happened during hmm. the 70s. And so they they were interested in you know helping create leaders and leadership that is positive because obviously that was not a positive experience. And a lot of the people, you know, gave up and people were killed. The educated class of people, teachers, a lot of teachers. And I didn't meet that many teachers in the 60s Mm. when I've been living there because they are no longer around. So in other words, there's a lot of healing that that needs to be done there. And our uh, original sponsors and funders and really wanted to make a difference for that group of people to help kind of improve a positive leadership. And so that was the goal. There was a real need. But I would also say there's a need for that almost everywhere, really, Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) for young people coming up and becoming, thinking about their own country and what you could do for your country and how you could improve it and how the ethics and the leadership can work towards positive change. And then that was really the original goal and the original need. Mm. That's quite extraordinary. You know, when I really thought about it, Jeff, it was just like, you know, we we often talk about trauma-informed care now, and we talk about it typically at the individual level. We wonder what sort of traumas an individual might come with a young learner into the classroom. But here we're talking about a collective national trauma. And I think what I'm hearing from you is that we would do well to pay attention to that at maybe a more macro level nationally and to think about the historical things that our that our kids carry when they come into the classroom, right? Is that a fair statement? I think that's a really fair statement. If you think about the idea that if you're a young person today, whether it's in Cambodia, which definitely has a need for it because a lot of the kids there grandparents for sure were involved in this and it's still hurtful and really hard for people. It's very hard for Cambodians to talk about it Mm. and about the people they've lost and and this the trauma that they've endured. But if you 
can think about switching that around as a as an individual student or something. And, and that really can be in a lot of places where you start to think about other things. You start to think about other people or how you can help or how you can make a positive difference. Basically, you know, thinking outside of yourself, hmm. kind of making a switch from some of your own things that have happened to you or that you're thinking about it, that you're worried about, whatever that is, hmm. and start to just turn that around and say, well, what if you work on positive things? What if you work on things that can make a positive difference for hmm. all kinds of things around you? Basically, think of things around you that can be helpful, useful, wonderful, and then start to do that with young people. If you mm. can do that, then some of those, my, my feeling anyway, I don't know if there's a lot of studies about it, but then you might not focus as much on your past or mm. some of that. It might be helpful in the healing process. Mm. So perfect segue then to, you know, I, I watched a wonderful video about Liger posted in 2013 and in it, your colleague, Robert Landau, talks about looking at and evaluating 12,000 Cambodian kids for the purposes of finding 50 who would become part of a learning cohort. And, you know, Jeff, at first blush, this might seem like another heartless story typical of what we hear about elite and exclusive private schools around the world. But in Liger's case, there is a mission behind this process that has to do with empowering and sponsoring community change makers and nation builders. And that's just, that's like a mind-blowing idea to me. So what is the story behind the idea that we can't help everyone, but we can educate and empower those who will help everyone? I think that's a, it's a very powerful notion. And that is why we have in Cambodia students that are selected from the entire country. Hmm. And last group, I think is there are students from every single province and a lot of Cambodia is very rural and very poor. Mm -hmm. And so far from being an elitist kind of program, I mean, the idea is from the beginning is to give people an opportunity that don't have an opportunity for a great education and to be a change maker. And so, for example, if we just took kids from the capital Phnom Penh and said that who were like excellent students at, you know, academically or something, it would not have anything like the impact that it's had mm. going, traveling around. And I, along with Robert and Dom Sharp, the people that worked on the first one, and I worked on the recruitment, I've spent hundreds of hours out in very rural communities talking to kids about, do you think you have an interest in making a change? And mm. do you, you know, we asked them and many different interesting things about what their passion about life was and things like that. And it's mm. really about if they wanted to change their country, if they had a passion or a spark, that's the kind of person we're recruited. And now, because of all of those kids from all over the country, going back, a lot of the graduates are in universities right now, but they have made already a big difference back in their local communities, which is in the entire country. Like, mm. It's way beyond what we thought actually could happen. So you're actually talking about that switch that you mentioned a couple of minutes ago. It's like, you know, when you go through something like what Cambodia went through, obviously you would have that personal trauma, that family trauma if you lost grandparents or parents. But here you're talking about that switch that gets you to think about becoming a nation builder. And now you're now the trauma actually becomes energy in your tank. Is that a fair way to look at it? 
that's a very fair way to look at it. And I and I think, and we can talk about this more later as maybe we talk about the program, but mm. the idea is that if you do that switch and if you start to work on things that make a difference, things that have impact in your community or your country, your, you know, whatever, and we can talk about examples of that. But once you do that, and if you practice that, if you do that over and over again, Hmm. you literally change. So, I mean, maybe doing something once and you say, oh, well, you should just make this switch and do do a project or something here and there. But what we do is that they work on these things. That is school. Yeah. That is what they do. That's what school is all about. And then you do that a lot. You radically become a different kind of person. Yeah. Perfect. So then we can get into the example. So you shared with me a section of a draft book slash manual you've been writing for Liger Leadership Academy. And I'm going to quote one paragraph and then ask <laughs> you a question. So right. I know it, I know it's early, but so quote, by engaging in real issues, students focus on big picture systems thinking and create a final product or action that causes change or serves a meaningful purpose. This process helps each student develop individually and communally as creators and innovators. It ensures deep and authentic learning, engaging students in critical thinking, problem solving, and decision making in contexts that are relevant to them." End quote. So these are awesome words, Jeff. And I wonder if you could bring the point home by describing a specific example or two or three, meaning actual projects Liger students dug into that clearly illustrate these words. give you one example about publications or writing. So the students at Liger in Cambodia, in particular the school in Cambodia, now more recently in New Zealand, they're working on these things, but just publications. So in Cambodia, books are still a very big thing because everybody doesn't have computers and so on. Hmm. So our students have published a number of books, including just recently, The Economy of Cambodia, Volume 2. Whoa. <laughs> so we wow. have them think about change and think about making a difference but no joke like go for it go for, go for something big you you can do that mm. you know and so they a number of years ago they wrote the original economy of cambodia no book there's hardly any books in cambodia about the economy of cambodia and they were 12 year olds mostly and they traveled around the country interviewed people talked to different people in the government and so on about the economy the different sectors of the economy energy and farming agriculture is a very big deal and they literally did everything mm. so they conceptualized the book and they wrote the book they went and interviewed people they didn't know anything about desktop publishing mm. so it's like okay well how are you going to publish this book it's like so then they learned they got an expert mentor from the US someplace who met with them online and taught them how to actually use software, how to write it all down. They did all the photography. They did all the interview, interviewing like adults about the economy. Wow. And you would think that 12-year-old Cambodian kids who know 
nothing about, like many kids in Cambodia don't know anything very much about the rest of the things that are going on in Cambodia, let alone how the whole economy works. Hmm. So anyway, and they did everything. And then we said to them, and this is with all, almost all of the publications that they've done, is that, well, who's going to read this book? You're not just going to turn it in for a grade. Who's going to read it? Well, other kids should read it hmm. in the country so they could understand how our country works. And they go, great, how are you going to do that? Well, we need to publish a book. You have a book and you've done desktop publishing. We need thousands of books to give to schools. And we said, well, how are you going to do that? How are we going to get the money for that? It's like, well, we better do some fundraising. And so they literally had to have the ownership of thinking about what the topic is, the mm. book, or the economy. They had to do all the work. They had to do the fundraising. They had to do the distribution. It's like, well, how are we going to distribute the book to all the schools in the country? That's what they wanted to do. Mm. It's like, well, we can't drive around every school. It's like, yeah, well, let's ask the minister of education in the country if he'd be excited about this <laughs> and maybe he could do it. So the ministry of education, they like, yeah, it's just amazing. And then we've done that with The Wildlife of Cambodia, which is a book that uh, you can find it on Amazon now or whatever. And it is the wildlife and it's all hand painted wildlife of all the animals in Cambodia. Our kids wow. had never done watercolor painting. So mm. a person came in to do watercolor painting with our students. This wasn't one of our own. So that's a whole other thing about who's a teacher and who's, who's yeah. a learner. But, right. but so we just incorporate everybody to help them accomplished this goal. So they learned, they did all the watercoloring. Some of the watercolors were so good, they sold a lot of the watercolors for fundraising to print more books. So that's gone to every school in Cambodia. So their kids mm. all over the country actually reading their book. And they had, they also did fundraising for that. And yeah, and now they just did the, well, they finished a book on the geography of Cambodia. Wow. And then they did the economy volume two, which in Cambodia, they get a lot of press for, I mean, yeah. <laughs> to do that. But it's funny because not only does that first economy book, I've been places with students there. I was at the airport one time in Phnom Penh and we went to the bookstore and I said, hey, we were going to robotics something somewhere with some of the students. And I go, if you go to that bookstore, I bet you're going to find your book there. And mm. they went and they found their economy book at the bookstore oh at the airport. Oh, my God. Oh my. And then the guy who worked at the bookstore said, hey, I know that book. I use that in my college course. I'm an economy <laughs> major. And they're like, really? <laughs> so my point is yeah. that these things that make a difference when they're given responsibility for doing something big, mm. they really do it. Like they can do amazing, amazing things. And then they're responsible. So you talk about engagement. Like, yeah. first of all, some of these books, they're all, they have a lot of writing in them. I remember the geography book about Cambodia. Like kids are like, geez, this is really hard writing. But I never really was super excited about writing in middle school and high school. Mm. But they're writing for very real audiences like yeah. this it's no joke so they have to and they have mentors they have our facilitators our teachers who help them and so on but it's like they, they they're not getting a grade they don't care about that they yeah. just they have to become a better writer they want to become a better writer they're engaged and they are responsible to publish an entire book that potentially hundreds of thousands of people are going to read mm. and i think that literally changes your perspective on everything. Awesome example. So, and perfect segue. I'm going to read a quote 
by Dominic Sharp from your Liger webpage. Here's the quote. Yep. Liger Leadership Academy not only encourages and develops entrepreneurial thinkers, but is in itself entrepreneurial as we constantly look to improve or create new ways to achieve our goal, end quote. So my question is about entrepreneurship and education, which you've been talking about here for the last couple of minutes. There are tons and tons of schools that focus on developing entrepreneurship mindsets, which is great, and skills in kids. But Dominic's assertion that Liger has in and of itself an entrepreneurial mindset really caught my attention, Jeff. So what does this mean in practical terms? for the school, for the team, for the students? I think one thing is that we are not about just literal entrepreneurship, as you you have really mentioned. Hmm. It's more about the idea of entrepreneurial thinking. And one of the things that we really focus on is the idea of what are the skills and attitudes and what do we really need to work on for their future work, for their future work in, in the next 20 or 30 years? What what are some things we can give them? So attributes and some skills and knowledge. And so I know, and I know a lot of people are working on those kinds of things. So we do that. In addition to that, I know Dom was talking about the idea too that we are always trying to improve. In other words, there's not one simple model, one type of learning other than project-based learning. And obviously we're a very experiential learning. Hmm. I think of as opportunity-based learning. So Hmm. what that really means to us is that a lot of our learning experiences come from opportunity. So we're always changing. In other words, we don't know what projects are going to happen next year. So we take opportunities that arise. And I'll give you an example. We had a group of students working on an island off the coast of Cambodia a number of years ago now. And they were helping an organization actually with some medical things and kind of helping translate and doing some other things for like a nonprofit organization and so on, and then doing some marine research. And on that trip, somebody said, hey, you guys want to do some more marine biology There's a group on an island off the coast of Cambodia that is doing research, and maybe they would be interested in having you guys come and join them. Mm. So anyway, like our Liger Marine Research Team was formed out of an opportunity from somewhere Mm. else. Oh, well, let's go investigate. So so now literally we have a partnership with Marine Conservation Cambodia, an organization. It's been going for years. So our students have become the first certified scuba divers, and they literally do marine research with people, experts from around the world. So they're studying seahorses, and they're they're building artificial reefs, and they're scuba divers. And they mm. the students at LIGA are presented at international conferences all over. So, But my point is that that idea of us growing and changing is based on opportunities that exist mm. within the community. So our entire curriculum is based on, well, what are the needs of the community? And then we listen and change and adapt and then take on something. Another just real quick example is that we had a group of students that were creating a website about the interesting geology about Cambodia, which doesn't exist really. And so they were talking to the minister of mines in Cambodia, interviewing him about some of this. And he said to my student, I wasn't even there. (laughs) Some adult was there with them, I think. I don't know who it was. But the students came back to me and said, because I'm the education director, and they're like, the minister of mines told us that somebody discovered dinosaur footprints up in northern Cambodia. Wow. And I said, 
really? It's like, what do, you, what do you all think about that? It's like, well, we should go check that out because there's never been a dinosaur discovered in Cambodia ever. Mm. And so we took a trip up there and then anyway, established an entire project trying to investigate. And so wow. they had to interview paleontologists all the world. So you're talking about learning content areas through real sort of opportunity-based experiences, but that's super powerful. So they they got to know more about paleontology and about research and about original research and about documentation and writing and scientific method and so many other things mm. based on various opportunities that arise. That's really how it works. And it's pretty exciting. And it's also really interesting for teachers as well. That's awesome, Jeff. You have introduced into the What School Could Be podcast lexicon a, a new term, which is opportunity-based learning. And I, I just absolutely love that idea. And okay, so I'm going to squeeze in one more question before we go to our second break briefly. You know, many of our listeners, maybe the majority of our listeners, have seen the acclaimed film, Ted Dentersmith's film, Most Likely to Succeed. And I know you have too, and that you've thought a lot about it. So I first saw it eight years ago, Jeff, and the film changed the arc of my life. So a brief two-part question here. First, what are your thoughts about most likely to succeed the film? But maybe more importantly, I wonder if you could do a kind of cool compare and contrast between High Tech High, which is the focus of most likely, and Liger Leadership Academy. I think a comparison would be super fascinating. First, I've been to High Tech High, and so I've spent a bit of time there, and I just love the people there and their ideas. And one of the things that both about the film, the film is is very powerful because it gets people, even people who are not necessarily educators and people who might be parents or school boards or or state department people or, or or whatever, to be thinking differently about learning. So they articulated really, really well. Things like student-centered learning, that students really can be a more powerful part of the learning experience and the switching from the sage on the stage to having kids engaged in, in meaningful work. And so they had such good examples in the film of that and articulated it really well. And also, in addition, had some really nice research behind it or, you know, it talked to various educational experts who said, yes, this is a really good way to go. Mm. I only yep. wish that it could even have more impact and that more schools could think that way. Mm. Why mm -hmm. are there not high-tech highs or why are there not student-centered, project-based, you know, like schools? Why, why is there no in my mind, not enough experimenters trying new forms of learning, even radical forms of learning, because mm -hmm. a lot of them work. And I think one of the things about that film and about High Tech High in general is that it works. Mm. Like it actually, well, depending on what your goal of a school is, if it's to get them into university, which is not the goal of Liger, for example, but yeah. you know, if you meet your goals of what you're trying to do as a school, they do. And so that's a really positive message that they did with it within multimedia and helped a lot of people kind of think differently about schools. Yes. In terms of Liger and just some of the subtle differences, we are very student-centered. One of the things that we do is, I think a big difference is impact. So for us, the idea of learning and the learning experiences you have should have an impact, like it should make mm. a difference mm. and it should be change the world. Like, and we find that very engaging and mm. long lasting learning experiences when you, you can literally profoundly make a difference to people outside yourself. So that might come in the form, for example, just the idea of exhibitions. 
I love exhibitions yep. at the end of learning experiences and so on. But I'm committed to impact. That is, what are you doing as a student mm. to do your learning and all the things that you learn, whether it's science and you're learning all the content and you're learning how to communicate and write and give presentations and do, but all for real things and yeah. authentic. So I think that's the other thing is that our learning experiences are really meant to be authentic, real world things and that make a difference. And I think that's a little bit different. So things like exhibitions, they're great, but at the end of it, it's, it's kind of like a final. I kind of like to think of exhibitions would be great in the middle of, of your work, of a group's work. They're working on something and they get feedback from somebody because the real exhibition, the real thing is what you've done and what impact that has made in the world. Right. Did 10,000 people read your book or, mm. or whatever the thing is, like we've had kids make design wheelchairs for dogs that can't walk, you know, like could the pet have a whole new wheeled vehicle because of the kids working on an engineering project? Right. That's what's really important. It, it, it So authenticity, I think, and impact are kind of a focus, kind of a specialty of what we do at Liger that we think is really a great addition to, you know, project-based schools and so on. Right. Awesome. That's terrific. Okay, so hey everyone, we will be right back with more questions for Jeff Holty. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. Aloha, my name is Aaron Shorn, a previous guest on this very podcast. I am also now head of growth and community at Hawaii's own Unruler. Unruler is a collaborative mobile and web platform that accelerates innovation, grows culture and community, and celebrates learning. Learners post multimedia, tag their learning, and through comments are able to work together asynchronously. Each post is a moment of learning that forms the foundation of a joyous learning journey. We can be found at unrulr.com. Mahalo. Are you ready to shake things up in the classroom? Then get ready to blast off into the future of education with the Teacher Nerds podcast. Join Joe DiPaolo and Ron Nober as they share their own experiences as well as talk with guests who are experts and innovators in education. From engaging teaching techniques to the latest educational technology, this podcast is a must-listen for anyone passionate about the future of learning. Subscribe and get ready to learn with the Teacher Nerds Podcast. Hey everyone, we are back with Jeff Holty, an awesome and amazing leader in reimagining since the 1970s what school could be and what could be school. So Jeff, when one goes to the Liger website, specifically the page that explains the Liger leadership team, we meet and learn about you before your retirement and individuals like Dominic and Caroline and Sabuan and Vishna and Diana and others. 
And I love talking about and discussing teams, Jeff. So I'm fascinated by the dynamics of teams. So what can you say about this team, again, before you retired, and what made this team unique and interesting and worthy of Liger's goals and values and aspirations? Great question. I also really really like talking about teams. In our case, in terms of Liger, both in Cambodia and now in New Zealand, it's the team is everything. The team makes everything work. And it's all the different components from someone like Dom Sharp, who's the director of the school, who has just amazing capabilities for everything. And it's all the support people that make it work from technology to finance to everything. And a huge part of that, in addition to that leadership, because leadership, if you're In my opinion, if you're doing something bold or like a crazy school, you need really strong leadership that will hold the line against, I think, what many people in the world want to default to a regular, well, this isn't school. Many people said this, they would come to Liger and they go, this isn't school. Like I know it. It's like, right. It is not. This is something completely different. And you got to have people, the leadership that is like really strong and dedicated to that. And that, by the way, in so a huge part of a team in schools or in a, especially in a Liger-like school is the teachers. And we don't even have teachers. We have facilitators. So mm. my point about that is they're, they're facilitators. There are no teachers, but they and, they, and I mean that in terms of facilitating learning. So that team and what's important about it is having the people that If they don't believe it when they first come, they learn to understand what the whole program is about and Mm. then champion it. So when you have facilitators that champion, and by the way, Liger in Cambodia and the same is true in New Zealand now, the team has changed over the years a bit, but they're so dedicated to the idea of how learning can occur in these new and interesting ways. So without that passion about what the program's all about, like, so that the team is everything. It's literally everything because all of the projects that are done by students at Liger, if they didn't have a really strong facilitator who knows the difference between a sage on the stage and somebody just teaching them information and somebody who's guiding them through a difficult, and we expect like big ideas and big projects and big things. So like you, you have to know what you're doing and you have to care about it enough to to do all those things. Mm. So the teamwork is just super critical. And the other thing I'd like to just say about the team, if you don't mind, like another Mm -hmm. one of my really strong beliefs is that the team is not just the team at Liger. So I really literally believe the team is the entire world. Mm. And I believe in incorporating that directly. And not only do I, but the team there does too. Like they're really good about saying, well, as I've mentioned in some of my examples, like we want students to become really resourceful. And that means not just talking to your facilitator or just working together, all the people in the world that could help you understand, help you give you ideas, give you feedback, give you everything. So our team at Liger includes literally not 8 billion people, but because some of them are small babies, but <laughs> millions of people that are available to be on our team. Mm. And when you realize that that's a possibility and when you help students realize like, wow, everybody could be on our team. Everyone can buy into that. So whether that is a university interns, which we've had many we have people that have graduated from universities that want to spend some time 
working with a group of kids, whether it's a year or two or three months and working on a project. There's hundreds of examples like that. Or just people digitally from all over the world who might help proofread writing, who could be just expert resources and so on. So that's the key. So the mm. team is literally everyone. And I really strongly believe mm. in that. And it's very powerful for students because they're like, oh, school isn't just about school. And my facilitator or my, my director of my school, it's about how do I utilize and work mm. with everyone? Mm. And then it's different. Wow. Amazing. Opportunity-based learning in an experiential setting, project-based, and literally everyone in the world is your facilitator or coach or mentor or guide or sponsor. All of those yep. things put together. Oof, boy, that's a big idea. And I know it's something that you're going to be thinking about moving forward. So Jeff, slight shift in direction here, but I, I didn't want to lose this opportunity not to put you on the spot or the hot seat, but you have been in the education innovation sector for a long, long time. So I could not pass up the opportunity to ask you a sort of big 30,000-foot policy question. My research took me down several rabbit holes, one of which led me to a CBS Morning News clip from six years ago that highlighted that moment when Loreen Powell-Jobs and the XQ Super School Project awarded $100 million to 10 high schools in America, meaning $10 million to each school. Wow. And I recall, Jeff, thinking at the time, why not give $1 million to 100 schools instead and impact even more kids? So my question is, I wonder what you think in general, not specifically about XQ, but in general, about this kind of philanthropy and education, or equally generally, the intersections of philanthropy and education. Spreading the idea out to a larger population, a larger number of experiments, I think we just need a lot more experimentation and trials on different kinds of schools. So the more we can do that, and, and having people help fund that is really important. For example, I, I just cannot tell you how much I appreciate the support that we've had in the funders and the belief system that we've had from people that, and Trevor and Ignushka who helped support this over the years, even though people said, that's crazy. Those kids from Cambodia are never, you know, nothing's going to ever, it's not going to really work because it's not school. Yeah. Even though I think close to 20 of them are in U.S. universities on full scholarship, right, as we speak right now. So in terms of that part of success. So in other words, the belief by some of the funders is really great. But I also think that this shouldn't have to be so much of a financial thing. Yeah. I am really of the belief that it is about a change in in how people think about learning. And I, of course, you know that I've spent a lot of time in, in really developing countries where a lot, there are millions of people, students in the world that don't really have a, an opportunity. Yeah. It's shocking. The rest of the people in the world that don't have an opportunity. I feel like we should try to give everybody an opportunity. And I, I don't think it's as much about funding it as it is about being really creative with the use of technology and to be, as I said, about everybody being a teacher and everybody helping each other in the world. Basically, I think a lot of things now in the future can be done on very low cost. Mm. So people can do profound changes in learning environments mm. on very, very little money. Right. So many people I, that I talked to said, well, we don't have funding. We don't have a grant to do this whole new program and so on. I don't think you need that. Well, I mean, it's certainly wonderful and helpful. 
But by the way, the school in Cambodia, the Liger Leadership Academy is funded. The funding that we have is based on a funding of an American public school student. Right. So we don't have any special, like it's not like a super wealthy place. It's basically pretty much what an American student would have in the funding. So we do, so in other words, you, my feeling, the 30,000 foot question is we can do mm. really bold, amazing things without that many financial resources. Yeah. And is is really the rethinking and redoing of what we're currently doing, re- rethinking and just and do things differently and mm. try to do it. If we want to include the whole world and all the millions of people who are already just like out of the loop at this, as we speak, you know, we've got to think of ways to do these things cost effectively. And I totally think that really great education isn't about money. Yeah, and that's the veritable definition of an entrepreneurial mindset, right? I mean, that's that's how we need to think about it. Entrepreneurs don't go into it thinking, oh, I'm going to go find $100 million. They think, how can I do this with the least amount of money with the most amount of impact? And that kind of idea, whew, boy, that's that's super exciting. And so, Jeff... That's a perfect segue to, you know, kind of these last two questions before we end this awesome conversation. You know, only once in well over 100 episodes have I interviewed a guest who had, shall we say, just headed out the door as you have. And and I'm super getting the feeling, Jeff, that you're nowhere close to retirement. You might be retired, but you're not retired. Um, right. So last year I interviewed Emily McCarran as she left Punahou School in Honolulu as its longtime principal and headed off to China to take a leadership position there. So it was really neat to talk to her at that moment as she transitioned, you know. And you just retired after 45 years in education. But I get the feeling that, you know, again, you're anything but retired. So this is a wonderful opportunity for you to look back on the totality of your work and reflect to our listeners what it all means. So my question is, more than anything, where are you on the hope meter? Are you feeling hopeful about the direction of education in America and even the world? What do we have to do to get to where you think we ought to be? I think that my hope meter is very, very high, actually. Hmm. And it goes back to my entire life, as I think it's, I think a lot of people feel this way, and that is that learning, the idea, the pureness of learning things and the concept of learning is so fun and awesome. And I just always think about that. And I've always thought about it my whole career. How can we make learning just like really meaningful? and amazing because it is. We get caught in school and we get, now we have a lot of politics involved in something, but that doesn't have anything to do with the pure mm. wonderfulness and amazing things of learning. And if we could get back to that, so it's the idea of changing sort of our mindsets and attitudes about what what are we doing here? What why why are we spending this money? Why are we spending 1200 hours a year? Why why what's all this about? And going back to some basic roots and so I'm hopeful because learning hasn't changed. It's still amazing. when pe- and So how people are doing it, yes, now we learn amazing things with the use of technology. 
Great. Mm. Let's continue that. What are we doing with school when we have people leave their home and go to school for 1,200 hours a year? What are we doing with that? Let, let's make it special and wonderful. Mm. And, and let's use every one of those hours to, you know, just like increase the joy of, of what we're doing. So I said, I have two children that are teachers right now. And, you know, I, we talk about that. It's like, isn't it fun? And they're like, oh, yeah, but we got this and we've got this problem. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Right. And my Krista McCullough friends, we talk about it too, because they're from all over the country. And they're, and we're talking about like, what are the issues and what is going on? It's like, yes, but this whole thing is amazing. We all got into teaching and uh, like I got into learning because I was a little kid and I wanted to learn everything in the world. So do a lot of people want to continue that past first grade. And so it's about rethinking what learning is. And also just for me personally is the idea of not forgetting about all the other people who I have seen many places in Africa and in Asia and so on where there is, it's an educational desert. Even in a traditional sense, let alone really, you know, providing an opportunity for everyone in the world. And as I said before, our understanding in the United States of what really getting to know people in the rest of the world and interacting with them and being mentors to them or, you know, whatever that might, however that might work, or kids, all the 11th graders going overseas to school for a year, really will change their view about their own country and their own place. So mm. I'm totally learning still. If people just had the idea that let's not complain, let's just figure out how we can make the school part of learning better and wonderful. And, yep. and we can, and it's happening all over. Like there's lots of really neat things happening too. It's sort of celebrating that and building upon those experiences of the high tech high and the other places that are doing really amazing things. Yep. Including Liger Leadership Academy in both Cambodia and New Zealand. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So Jeff, I love to close conversations by giving guests an opportunity to give a shout out to giants upon whose shoulders they stand. And in your case, one of those giants appears to be Wayne Jennings, an educator who gave you the opportunity decades ago to start a charter school and so much more. And his resume, oh my God, his resume is unbelievable. So in what ways was Wayne that giant? And in what ways was he a guide, a mentor, a coach, and or a sponsor in your life? Like what was his brilliance? A couple of things. Yes, his resume is quite amazing as he was one of the originators of the first charter schools that came into the country or happened from Minnesota. And he was part of that, some of those original things. And the point about that is that charter schools, the idea is to, you know, really help public school innovation happen on a large yes. scale. So yes. we've, been, we've been doing a lot of that in Minnesota. And, and so he, he was really a part of that. And he inspired me and the other team that I worked with to just go for it. And I came from more of a traditional school district at the time. And he's just like, no, you just go all out on this idea of student-centered learning. And, you know, we're having a charter school. And, you, you know, he also agreed to become the board chair of our school in charter school in St. Paul. Mm. So that was really wonderful. And one of the biggest things of all, he learned how to stand up to no. Mm. When everybody says no, we've never done that before. He's like, yeah, that, yeah, so what? Like, you just keep going. You just really a quick example is that when we had this charter school, it was experiential. And we traveled, as I said, to Africa, Costa Rica, and all over the United States. We took some of the urban kids everywhere. 
And we went, the Department of Education in Minnesota wrote to me and said, you got to come to a meeting. You can't do that. Like we can't fund a school that isn't at a school. Like we were some of the time, but not really much of the time. Mm. He said, that's not possible. So Wayne came with me to the Department of Ed and they went list by list. It's like, wait, so we're supposed to give you funding for Monday. We only fund Monday through Friday. And it's like, <laughs> but your school goes Saturdays and Sundays as well. So, yep. When we're in Costa Rica, we're in school. That's it. On and on and on. And they go, you can't do that. We can't do that. And you can't do that. And then Wayne finally said during the meeting, said, wait a minute, excuse me, everyone. And there was a whole room full of people from all different departments. And he said, so can someone tell me a law that says we can't do all of these things we do mm. to get funded? Nobody could come up with one, except one person said the federal food program we don't know what they're eating in Ghana, West Africa. We don't know what that's on that menu. So I don't think we can fund your, you know, $2 <laughs> a student a week. And it's like, that's it. And it changed everything. And for me, it's like, oh, I see. You don't have to listen to no. You just go for what you mm. want and it, you can make it happen. And he was not only me, but he's influenced a lot of people that way. Changed my life forever. Mm, that's awesome. And so what we'll do is we'll we'll dedicate this episode to Wayne. Great. And I'm just so inspired by your story and also by his as well. And I love the idea that we just, you know, we have to figure out ways to move around. No. And we will do yep. that. We will do that, all of us yep. together. So that's well, terrific. Well, your podcast is a big help in that. And I mm. I think you you getting the word out and talking to all sorts of different people and pr just promoting that idea is really mm. pretty rare. Mm. Thank you. I would love to think that all of these episodes with these remarkable people is really about humans who move around no and get to yes and think of all the ways. And why would they do that? Because it's for the kids. It's for the yep. engagement of young people to give them a chance to work on things that are relevant. And even at the highest possible levels of thinking about nation building, you know, how can we make yes. Cambodia a better place? How can we make America a better place or Ghana or wherever? And I love that idea that that's the DNA of Wayne Jennings. I think that that's, that's super special, Jeff. So that's awesome. Wonderful. So Jeff, Thank you for being on the show today. We at What School Could Be wish you and your extended family and your two children who are teachers. That's amazing. That's awesome. I have a daughter who's also a teacher at a nature immersion school in California. So how special, right, Jeff, to have kids who become teachers, the apples Absolutely. that don't fall far from the tree. <laughs> so you and your extended family, health and happiness as you journey into retirement and the next chapters of your life. Thank you, Jeff. Really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Josh. My editor, creative consultant, and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurohara. Our theme music comes from the vast catalog of music created by my friend of 40 years, the remarkable pianist, Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and over 2,000 cities to date. Support these episodes with remarkable, innovative, and imaginative educators and education leaders by giving us your own rating and writing us a review at your favorite podcast store. 
This series is underwritten by Education Change Agent Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book, What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Also, follow the show on Twitter at WSCB Podcast. Listeners, the most important thing you can do in these uncertain times is to bring kindness and compassion into the world. We need a surplus of both right now. Until the next episode, ahui ho and take care.